The subject matter contained in this presentation is based on biblical principles and designed to give you accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that neither the presenter nor the broadcaster is engaged to render legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Since your situation is fact-dependent, you may wish to additionally seek the services of an appropriately licensed legal, accounting, real estate, or investment professional. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap. They gather nothing into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you more important than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single moment to your lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothes? Learn from the way the wildflowers grow. They do not work or spin, but I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed like one of them. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which grows today and is thrown into the oven tomorrow, will he not much more provide for you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry and say, What are we to eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what are we to wear? All these things the pagans seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given you besides. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for a day is its own evil. We now have the very people who deny it, who've made the system, who've built it, begin to start saying from their boardrooms, hey, we better mention this. We better start saying a little bit about it because something's coming down. And if we go down without even hinting about it, we're going to want to guillotine us. That was a friend of Medjugorje on October the 6th, 2011. Welcome to Medjugorje. Tonight we're sharing with you a special broadcast. This was the 100th Medjugorje broadcast. It aired on October the 6th, 2011. Now, October the 6th is a special day for us here at Caritas. This is the date of the very first message that Our Lady gave to a friend of Medjugorje through Maria. And in that message, it was in response to a question that a friend of Medjugorje asked whether the same conversions happening in Medjugorje could also take place here and they could be divinely spread throughout the whole region. And today being a Thursday and October the 6th, we saw it as an opportunity to be able to share with you this special one-hour broadcast. And October the 6th, 2011 was the 25th anniversary of that special message that Our Lady gave to him. The October 6th message is part of the reason why a friend of Medjugorje does not sign his real name. 
It's also part of the reason why he has never taken royalties on any of his books. This Medianomics broadcast and his Radio Wave broadcasts are listened to in over 120 countries worldwide. He has written several hundred books. Ten of these have been national bestsellers. And so a friend of Medjugorje was very strong about living this October the 6th message in a very radical way. And so this one-hour piece, which we are sharing with you tonight, fell on the 25th anniversary of that message. A friend of Medjugorje covers a lot of fundamentals in this one-hour piece that you're about to hear. And so here is a friend of Medjugorje, October the 6th, 2011.
I used to go to Mass where this priest would have Mass, and he started community. He started an order, actually. And I would hear him, after a while, start saying that he was praying to be denied consolation, that to be a saint, that he really wanted to follow this path of not having even the consolation that God gives him. And I would cringe every time I'd hear that. I'd think, wow, I would never do that. And we're known here as a tough people. We live a very difficult, tough life in many ways, a lot of crosses. We work long hours. But I like consolation. I gladly pay those things. This priest ended up getting what he asked for. And he was actually stripped from everything. His position, where he was. And last I heard, he's kind of like an old man with the bonds that was in his community, going from place to place. No consolation. It amazed me a few days ago when I was told October 6th was going to end up as our 100th anniversary and on a Thursday. Coincidence? No way. So these consolations are sweet, and God's given to them and speaking to us in this way. And so society today is not offering a lot of consolation. In fact, it's desolation. I feel sorry for people out there in the factory that the total income source is from that one job. When everything's going away, our lady says everything's passing, everything's falling apart. When you're totally dependent on somebody for your source of income and you meet all your needs through that check you get, today is very dangerous. Don't think it's going to keep continue if you still have a job, and a good job even at that, that it's going to keep feeding you consolation. It's not going to happen. Everything is passing. Everything is falling apart. Quote, unquote, Holy Virgin Mary, telling you now to think. What would I do if I had a factory job? I'd make sure I was, my house, I had a garden. I'd be putting up food. I would be parallel in that life with a dependence on more toward God and His ways, meeting my needs by being resourceful without having to have cash for it, buy tools, have a little carpenter shop in the garage. I've told you a story about our kids who go out and cut a tree and can make a spoon for a kitchen pot in a matter of no time. They've even learned that you don't even have to dry the wood. You can do it fresh. One hour be stirring pasta with it. An 18-inch, two-foot-long wooden spoon. They've got the skill. What did the pioneers do? They didn't have cash to go pay the Indians for something. Or go to the grocery store. Think. You say, well, I'm wealthy. I don't need to do that. You do need to be closer to an agricultural system. You do need to have a system that you're putting your food in your mouth from your land or at least in an area where you're close to that source, and in some ways you're supporting it. There's class warfare being built right now. The people, the have-nots, and many of those have-nots are people just on welfare doing nothing, not productive. It's against scriptural basis for what they do. When many of them can be resourceful in doing something, they just passed a law here in Alabama that really made things more restrictive for anybody being illegally here immigrating are living here. And there was a big flight the day the law took place. The farmers didn't have anybody to pick tomatoes. 
And so I heard a Christian radio show showing that anybody needs a job, that there's places like in two counties from here that you can go and pick tomatoes. And the people who were picking them before were making two and $300 a day. And one guy called in and said that he took his two kids up there just to show them, went up by that afternoon, and they made $60 just in a few hours, a couple hours for the kids. And then they were going to go to the state fair after that. And so there's things that you can do and things that you can make your income if you want to be active toward that. But going back to the have-nots who are being taught to pay against those who have, it's a very dangerous thing. Rich people are good. It's a good source. Because when they spend their money, they're people that are able to help people that don't have money. Rich people are given blessings with God for a purpose. That would be the dispensers of God's blessing. If you're wealthy, you're to share what God gave you by sharing yours. If he shared it with you, why would you not be sharing it? You've got a responsibility for that. It's not just to have a lot of money. I was with a friend earlier today, and he was actually, he's from the school of hard knocks. Nobody gave him anything. He spent 40 years acquiring land. And in this county, he's got over $45 million worth of land, not real estate, but land. And he's cash poor in a lot of ways. And he could care less if he gets any money for it. He's got a lot of land, you bet he does, but he's not pompous about it. He don't have it for money. But he acquired this for, for hard work. Is it necessary to have that much? No, I'm not telling you for that point. I'm saying that anybody can do whatever they have to do. And when you read where we're headed, you read the future and you see what's going, you can realize why I feel sorry for people that's locked into a factory job and have them locked into the mentality that that's going to be the source of income. It's Yvonne who paralleled Our Lady's words. You've heard us say it for the last weeks, most of the summer. With Our Lady's words where everything's passing, everything's falling apart, that Yvonne says that we're going to see physical changes soon across the whole world. That means we need to be thinking we need to be a thoughtful people. What has we been showed? I was at Panera Bread the other day and watching somebody who had been sitting there with papers and somebody came in. It was, he was interviewing people for a job. And a couple of people came in there and you could see that they're real humble in a different disposition perhaps what they really are. But they were totally seeking, totally dependent on that person and saying everything in the right way. And I was observing that and looking at their hearts and trying to see into what their, the body language was. You know, I think it's 38% of your language is not words, it's your body movements. It's like you can't see me now moving my hand. It tells more and emphasizes and gives impetus to your words. And they're a different kind of person when they're there. They're on the top showmanship to get the job that they can be. But also with seeing that, they're completely selling their soul to get this job in so many ways in just a matter of 
given that word is not literally so and so. But they're giving their all for that. They want that work. And with that attitude and that mentality, they'll do practically anything for it. I'm not saying speaking about immorality, but they'll, they'll do whatever they need to meet. They'll do it if they're really seeking job and employment. But there's something innate by it because it's just making themselves part of the system again. I feel sorry for those people I watched, just like the factory worker. I feel sorry for people going to college. They've been trained, they've been conditioned, they've been placed in a mentality to just become another clog in the system. To be totally dependent on their piece of paper after they graduate to get them a job. This is not God's system. You need to be more independent and less dependent on those single source incomes. I'm not condemning you if you've got a factory job or if you've even been in college and you got a job. But don't put that as your sole source and resource to meet your needs. Look for ways to be resourceful. What can you do today? What can you do now? And, and meet some of your needs without cash. You can do an inventory. You can start thinking, what can I do? You say, well, I, I'm not structured that way. I'm in, I'm in a condo, an apartment in the middle of the city. Okay, then think in another way. Think, what can I do today that I can get something that takes half my cash and I can meet that other half of my needs by some other way, by labor, by trading something, by whatever. Start building a system, a mentality of uh, away from the system because it's passing. It is going to go away. Don't think it's going to recover. I'm telling you on this 100th anniversary, I'm telling you on the so many gifts and signs that are given to us and consolations that you're not going to be consoled by these things in the future. It's not going to be fruitful for you. Your consolation, you won't talk to anybody that works in the soil or has a garden that don't feel consolation from God. There's something therapeutic. There's something regeneration in it. It's rejuvenation because you get regenerated by it. I remember years and years ago seeing on 60 Minutes when we still had TV before we threw it out because of the stupidities of what it teaches now and dumbs us down. A farmer coming across the field with the sun shining in the background, he's riding his tractor, but his voice is in the background because he was on the show for some reason or another. I don't remember why. But what I do remember is he says, this is my church. This is where I feel God. This is my tractor. And he literally was talking about that. And he says, I feel more church here than when I go to church. Why would you not want that? This is my house. This is my heaven. This is my land. This is my living. This is my wife. These are my children. This is my blood. Well, these are my boots. This is my tractor and these are my hands. This is my hammer. This is my sweat. This is what matters. This is my blood. It's my life that you're looking at when you're passing by. It might not look like much to you, but in these eyes of mine. This is my church, 
This is my Jesus, this is my strength This is my weakness, this is my flag This is my freedom, this is my blood It's my life that you're looking at It might not look like much to you, but in these eyes of mine This is my church, this is my Jesus, this is my strength This is my weakness, this is my flag, this is my freedom, this is my blood This is my house, this is my heaven, this is my life this is my living, this is my wife, these are my children, this is my blood. This is my life, this is what matters, this is my we could use a little more country in this country. No, I'm not talking about adding some more real estate. I'm talking about an attitude. Even if we all can't live in the country, we can adopt some of the ways of our countrymen. Country residents know they get most important news from their neighbors, not CNN. They get their stock quotes in prices per pound, not scandals per company. In the country, people know that if the weatherman calls for rain on the weekend, it is cause to rejoice, not an excuse to mope around the house. Country folks know that being a good neighbor is far more important than keeping up with the Joneses. And if a fence needs mending, both sides should work to fix it. Oh, sure, rural roads are more dusty, but they're also a lot less crowded. People who live in the country know that being stalled in the fast lane for hours on end every day is no way to spend a life. About the only time you see bumper-to-bumper traffic in the country is for a funeral procession, and most everyone for miles around knows who's in the box. Those that don't take off their hats anyway, because they know that every life is worthy of respect. Lightly peopled places give children a place to crash land, or fall to the ground safely when spreading their wings. Residents of the country don't want it all, and realized long ago that all they have is all they need. Their day is not ruined by a bad wine list, a snippy stored clerk, or by things that don't concern them. They eat their own cooking, play the hand that's dealt them, and don't feel victimized when things go bad. I believe this country needs less cultivation, and more cultivation, if you know what I mean. More concern about sowing than reaping. 
Our fellow countrymen believe in fewer subdivisions and more potlucks. They know that people are often divided by geography, but that should be about all. You may call them hicks or rubes, but natives of the countryside like things more familiar and less foreign. They tend to be people who stay put instead of looking around for new places to mess up. Their air is not filled with smoggy sounds of trains, planes, and cars, of people going somewhere else because they're satisfied right where they are. The natives are not naive. They know there's a big world out there. But they also know there's a better one right in their own backyard, yet to be discovered. Country citizens are worried less about the global economy than they are the local one. I like to think they are probably more honest because there's nowhere to hide, no glass and concrete skyscrapers to hide in or behind. They have to look their neighbors, friends, and investors in the eye on a regular basis. And when they say thanks, they try to mean it. They are also more self sufficient. They make do with what they have because they can't run to the store every time they run out of milk. Out in the boonies, folks know that daylight is for working and playing, and dark is for sleeping. They're not bored by their own company or enslaved by a clock. They know a bad book is better than a best TV, and that entertainment can be provided by a firefly. They know that nature is not a separate species. And our wildlife is not endangered, but common sense is. They believe that people should have more rights than rocks, and private property always looks better than non resident owned. They honor the motherland and the fatherland, and believe each home should have one of each one father and one mother. Country folks are a more patient people. They plant seeds and water them with optimism and faith. For they realize that good things take time and care. Residents of the countryside like to say they live in God's country, and simple pleasures remind them on a daily basis that they do. So, this is the kind of life we go into. You say, What about Jesus and Mary and Joseph and Nazareth? It was a village. But they're agrarian. Goats were running through the streets. Sheep were all over the place. Doesn't mean you won't be in a village. And even in New York in the turn of the century of the 1900s, pigs roamed the streets. We completely divorced ourselves from everything agrarian. Letting a truck bring us 1,500 miles away from us to us. Why is that not good? Because it's very dangerous. What if the economy crashes? What if there's no transportation? How are you going to eat? You don't have the pig lot on the city block. So I'm just not giving a condemnation of cities. It's the grand way of life we've divorced ourselves from. We've divorced from what's right. Two days ago, October 4th, the Fed chairman, Bernanke, says something incredible. Did you hear about it? Do you know about it? It should be major headlines. It should be all over the place. Everybody should be talking about it. So what did the Fed chairman say? Quote, The economy is close to faltering. 
And he went on to talk about that we better be careful. What? Is anybody paying attention? Yes, we've been saying it for two years. We've been planning it for a long, long time. We've been debt-free for Carrie Tussle the day it started. From the day I started my second business, has been debt-free. Up to 40 years ago. I saw it coming. When I talk to people about it, they oh, you're, you're just doom and gloom. It's not doom and gloom. I feel future. The further you get away from this system and provide for you and meet your needs by being crafty, the more secure you're going to feel. And if you lose what you have because of a crash, if you are independent and more dependent on God, then nobody's going to be in a position to be protected anyway. But it's not to be in a position of being protected or save oneself. It's in a position to live close to God, to His way. That's what's important, the holy way of life. And so Bernanke's statement is something that should shock people, even though they may know it. We now have the very people who deny it, who've made this system, who've built it, begin to start saying from the boardrooms, hey, we better mention this. We better start saying a little bit about it because something's coming down. And if we go down without even hinting about it, we're going to want to guillotine us. So I'm sure this was discussed a long time before, two days ago, that we better start talking about this. We better do something just like the president of Indonesia did last year. Last winter, this spring, I want you to plant gardens, people, because we're going to see inflation. Many of the Indonesians won't be able to feed themselves. Get your seeds and plant gardens. Is that not a sign? You might say that's why you trickle down to people impoverished. That trickles back up to everybody, even the great nations. It's a symptom of a sickness. My background is in tree surgery. If you wound a tree's roots, even way out, it can live 25 more years. It starts rotting slowly and little by little back toward the trunk. You get what's called dieback on the top of the tree. You can lose from one to seven years direct trees directly from construction damages. But people don't relate that six years later. It's when they built the house or they built the building. What caused that? If you've been to Caritas, you see the trees right next to the building. That's my expertise. One of the things I've done in the past. And so we see Indonesia way out there on the edge of the roots. And now we see it coming back. Now we see Greece. Now we're talking about Italy. Now he's talking about all Europe. With the financial trunk of the tree of the world, the United States of America, you think we're going to escape the rot? It's coming, people. It's creeping to us. And now you have the top dog. The Fed chairman, Bernanke, saying the economy is close to faltering. I meant to look that up in the dictionary. I wanted to see what they mean by faltering. I mean, I know the meaning. You know the meaning. But sometimes it's good for a meaning to go look in the dictionary. That's your homework after the show. Look up the word faltering. Maybe a little fear of God will motivate you to start meeting your needs other than using cash. Many ways to do it. This is my tractor. This is my hammer. These are my boots. 
This is my sweat. And so we're coming into another way, not because of Bernanke announces it. He's denied it. They thought they could get over this, do all the things and the shenanigans they've done for years. And now Our Lady tells us, and that's why we know it. Forget what they said. Forget the Bernanke's. As Our Lady said, everything is passing. You better take that to the bank. And when you take those words to the bank, take your money out of the bank. And when you take it out of the bank, you put it into something that God made himself that has intrinsic worth. Immediately do this. Immediately get your retirement. Get everything out. Everything you can. And put it underneath your autonomy, not some financial advisor. Well, it's a confession. It's, it's, a, it's an admission that, that we've done what we can do now. Uh, you better brace yourself. We, we are, we're piloting this plane. If you're on a plane, I just got through reading about this book, uh, Flight to Heaven. I think I talked about it on the 22nd of the month show. And the whole thing is they don't know if they're going to crash. Well, he, it was talking about another crash, actually. And they're in the middle of, couldn't find an airport, couldn't find lights. And they're running out of fuel. And everything was pretty bleak. And their hope was that they didn't crash. And every sign showed that they would. And so they're admitting that we've done everything we can do. There's nothing else we can do. Every indicator is that this thing's going to fall. And so they're telling everybody to brace themselves. This is a, a warning message so that they wouldn't get caught in their lie because they've, they've built this. This is part of everything. This is a seesaw effect. Corn's down. Commodities are down. The next week, corn's up. Commodities are up. Make it low this time with all the money. Then buy with it low and then make it go up and sell off again. It's just a seesaw like the euro to the American dollar. They seesaw back and forth. One or two weeks, one's worth more than the other. Well, the people trading this money back and forth are making trillions of dollars in the exchange of this, these funds. Last time I was in Rome, I went to change some dollars to euros. I was shocked what they wanted to charge me for a few hundred dollars. Just changing American dollars to some euros. I think it was like $250, $300. Charged me $70. $70 to exchange that money. So don't tell me it's not crooked. And don't tell me Bernanke is not saying this without him believing it. And so what is going to be your steps? What are you going to do now? Which way are you going to walk with this thing? When I first came over this mountain, and we, where I used to live, we called this where I live now, over the mountain. That's over the mountain. And as you come here, and those people who have been here, you see we do climb a big hill on the Highway 280, and when we get here, it's over the mountain. We were looking for land out here, and we looked and we looked and we looked. And we went further and further out. Where we are right here now, there was no houses. It was so far out that my wife says, why are we even looking out here? This is too far out. There was nothing on 280. There was a barn out there. It was way, way out in the country. You saw nothing. In fact, you saw nothing. You could go 100 miles an hour down the road because there was no cars. The road in front of Caritas at this moment now, even though it's still a country road, you could go two hours and not see a car go down it. And, of course, that was 77, 78, 79. And we found this little track of land. I fell in love with it. My wife liked it, but she says too far. She really didn't want to buy it. But I felt strong incentive to do it. But because she wasn't on board with it at that time, I still yet to learn some of the how to change your husband and stuff from her lady. I said, because she's not really fully on board with it, 
I'm going to call one more time. And if that phone call doesn't come in, or if he doesn't answer, then that's it. So I let the phone ring probably 25, 30 times. And I finally said, I'm very decisive too. If I make a decision like this, I don't go back to it. Maybe that's why they use me for what she's using because I don't, I don't regret my decisions. I do and go full blast. If she says do something, I do it. I don't care what the consequences are. Because many times I do things the lady shows, I know it's going to go bad for me. It doesn't matter. And so I said to myself, I'm going to let this ring one more time. If they don't answer, then I'm going to forget about even moving out to that area. I'm not even going to look out there anymore. The phone ring started. I got ready to hang up. And just as I got ready to hang up at the end of the ring, they picked up. A fraction of a second, a half a tenth of a second, I would have never moved out here. There never would have been a bedroom of apparitions out here. There never would have been the field of apparitions out here. There never would have been a carrot house out here. There never would have been an experience of, of tens of thousands of you who've been here when you come over that mountain and see what God gave. And so there's been those before us that's been here. These mountains were known as rugged places. Just 30 years before I bought it, some of the land was going for a dollar an acre out here, cheap, because nobody wanted it, because of the hardship of it. But that makes you into somebody. We've gotten this life, and ladies leading us to it. Grandma and Grandpa came over this mountain With a mule and a Bible in an old Model T Raised seven kids through the Great Depression They could be happy, why can't we? In this world of illusion With all these possessions That we're taught to need People with nothing Still hold on to something If they can be happy
is starting to sink and you see it's going down the first thing you do is get a bucket and start dumping the water out in the meantime you probably get your life jacket if you see it's going to be risky if you can get the water out and so the first thing to do is get all your resources collected together get it out get it out of the boat that's going down the system the economic thing that Bernanke himself is close to faltering why would you keep it there why would you keep it anyway why would you keep it in the 401k because you're going to lose half of it? Well, what about leaving it there and losing all of it? Your risk factor is far less by taking at least half of it if what we say is wrong. But nothing indicates that we're wrong. Everything indicates that we're right. And the people that don't understand it have to divorce themselves from right. So they can't see it. They won't see it. And they don't want you to see it if they do see it because they can make money still and it's happening. Your 401k is in managed money. They take losses that can come out of that. They're managing your money for this purpose. Don't expect them to tell you, oh, go take this out. You gain control of what you have. Dump the water. Take it out of the bank. Dump out of that ship that's going down. The stock market is everything like this. And put it into something solid. The lifeboat is silver. That's why we've got the miraculous metal measure around. First to seek God's kingdom with what you have, whatever resources there are, to bring people to conversion later. There's a million point five one ounce rounds out there now. From Ireland to here to other countries. That's going to be distributed in the future. Is that the goal? No. The goal is to meet your needs without having to spend a dollar every time you got to do something to, to get that need. The miraculous measure go rounds are purposed for having a dual thing, which is a parallel action, which is to bring conversion for those who will have those in distribution of it later, and to hold your wealth in that for right now until you can find your little piece of land, until you can get over that mountain and come over it, find your little place, or make it on the edge of wherever you are, or become a little part of a little village. These are all things that's coming. We're going to post something on Medjugorje.com on Monday, and we've got it. The, the writing has been there, and I just haven't been able to finish proofing it. 
but it's behind the scenes of our community. You're going to love it. It's not that we haven't shown before. We're going to open that up simply because the lady just said, speak about things now. The lady just gave us a green light to go forward with these things. And so going forward means to talk about our life. What are we, what are we going to do? And so in answering your question, that's it. You've got to go that way right now. I'd been wanting to start an economic show for years and years and years because I felt so strongly connected to the spiritual life. Because everything's connected to money. You know, the love of money is the root of all evil. When you've got to have money and you remove the love for it, it's okay. And people don't know how to define those things and how to use it in a proper way. And then as I discovered through prayer, what I did about read Matthew 6 and measure every single Thursday, then we came up with measuronomics. And I knew that people would be opposed to this in some ways. Or you're mixing the Virgin Mary's messages with money. That's why you got the book ain't going to happen with a chapter called Scruples. Because your scruples don't cut it. And if you don't like what we do with this, go speak to all the thousands of people that have been helped by this show to change their life, stabilize it, and grow spiritually downsized, helping other people through these messages that we've spread through Metronomics. And so we had this actions that need to be taken immediately. Immediately when you hear the show, you need to be thoughtful. You need to get on your knees and say, God, what do I need to do? Get the water out of the boat, the bank, the stock markets, all that stuff sinking. I don't know if this is a, a fair question, but one of these days we're going to wake up and and there's not going to be any more time for decisions to that we can say, make now. So my question is, just because this is the 100th show, maybe we won't see a 200th show before things go awry. But what would you do in looking to the future? Let's say you, uh, we get the inside track and we find 24 hours ahead of time that, that this is it. Tomorrow evening at 6 o'clock, it's a done deal. The economy crashes. In this 24 hours that's left to you, what do you think you would do in that, that last 24 hours? Well, I think I'd answer that question first. What would people out there do? They'd do what everybody's done in a situation of hyperinflation. They see us on the verge of collapse. They run and take whatever money they got underneath the mattress or wherever they got it, wherever they can take cash, and they go try to put that money into something uh, solid, something that has some kind of value. It could be a stereo, it could be a gallon of milk, because of hyperinflation, the, the money starts going away so quickly that in a matter of hours, what would buy right today at this moment $100 worth in two or three hours may take $1,000 to buy. And they'll see this panic. Well, what I would do myself is just be in prayer. I'd start fasting. God, put us where you want us to put us. Because we've been making decisions for this future event that's happening right now in our midst. I was making it 40 years ago. Caritas is debt-free. It doesn't own a penny to nobody other than our power bills during the month and that kind of thing. We're even looking at reducing those things. How do, we, how, do we do, how do we operate this mission without money? Because the messages still need to be propagated. Even in the Depression, they ask everybody whose name was Mary to donate $1 to buy a brick for a church up north, I forgot where it was, and they built this cathedral, even in the Depression. 
People are going to be looking to this kind of food when things are bad. So missions will continue. Maybe not in the way we're doing it now. Maybe not in the functions we do it. But we're structured to be lean and mean and clean. We can output. And so generally you go through an evaluation of what's in your inventory. But at least it's be ready. Don't wait and then get ready. That's the wrong way. Be ready, my children. That's her words. Go look it up. So these things we have to do right now. And my suggestion to you, everybody, just spread this thing to everybody you know. Make copies on your computer CD-wise. Go buy 40 CDs and make copies of it. Order this show from Caritas. Spread it to everybody you know. It's time to wake up. I'm not telling you something you can't see. I can't, I'm not telling you something you can't look and do a little research in one day and conclude everything being said here is 100% correct and that you need to act yesterday. Not tomorrow when it happens, even 24 hours, and you think, what can I do? Okay, I got to do this. Forget that. It's over. You won't have time. And don't think, oh, I'm just going to pray. I think God's going to have to do some miracles. I've said it before. There'll have to be something like manna. Our lady said, if you leave my messages, God will meet your needs. It may not be pleasant. God met a lot of people's needs in 1929. It wasn't pleasant. Was it good for them? Yes, it was good for them. Because everybody needed purification. But I've got two things going on here. You can get purification when the events unfold. And you can use this time of grace now that might go well for you and be purified voluntarily. Doesn't mean we won't go through more purification. Don't mean we won't suffer. But we've been through the mill and we've been going through it. So it's your choice. You decide. The biggest thing you can do is take this show and spread it to everybody you know. Give it to give it to coworkers. Give it to people. Give people that don't even necessarily believe in apparitions. Because truth is truth. The things being said here really resonate with them. It resonates to a lot of people that the Fed chairman said what he said two days ago. And so if we're being told by the secularist, those people who built this thing, the economy is close to faltering, take it to the bank and empty it. Take those words there. Take it and dump it the water out of the boat sinking. As we end this show, I was thinking about this phone call, this one ring, how close so many things may not have happened. I laid awake in the bed of apparitions. People say, you still sleep? They say, yeah, every night. I laid it entered into our life. And often I lay there wide awake thinking about all the things that's happened. And I remember thinking through the years, one phone ring one little ring. And when the guy picked up, he said that he had to drop his groceries to catch a phone. He was impelled to run toward it. How close I was to losing so many blessings. So many blessings for other people. And how many even millions that have heard the story and will in the future from one simple ring not being answered. Call upon God. He can move things. He'll make things happen for you. His mighty hand can make everything take place that you don't know what to do with now. All you have to do is be in prayer, to put your dependence on Him and not the world, and look for that comfort, that consolation that He gives. And so we end this show today with this blessing, with thanking God for the hundred shows, with the sign that he gives us that this is on track. I take it as that. People can reject it. It doesn't matter to me. 
but I don't know what October 6th means to me, 1986, and for this show to end up on the 100th anniversary, and October 6th falls on a Thursday, on the 100th show, it's constellation. And there's many constellations waiting for you if you take that decision. Those blessings will come to you. So we wish you, Our Lady. We love you. Goodbye. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace. Comfort for family. Protection while we sleep We pray for healing For prosperity We pray for your mighty hand To ease our suffering And all the while You hear each spoken need Yet love is way too much to give us lesser things Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life all your mercies in disguise We pray for wisdom Your voice to hear And we cry in anger When we cannot feel you near We doubt your goodness we doubt your love As if every promise from your word is not enough And all the while you hear each desperate plea And long that we'd have faith to believe Cause what if your blessings come through what if your healing comes through tears? And what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? When friends betray
The subject matter contained in this presentation is based on biblical principles and designed to give you accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that neither the presenter nor the broadcaster is engaged to render legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Since your situation is fact-dependent, you may wish to additionally seek the services of an appropriately licensed legal, accounting, real estate, or investment professional.